you pray with me? Good and gracious God, we thank you for your word. Your word that nourishes and sustains us, that comforts and that challenges us. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive your word. Not mine, not ours, but yours. For you alone are God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 23. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, this morning I'm talking about adventure, and I'm just going to tell you right off the bat that I'm stepping out in faith to do PowerPoint. (laughs) That will be an adventure in and of itself this morning, to the point that my boyfriend texted me 15 minutes ago. I can't wait to hear how the PowerPoint goes this morning. (laughs) Ever the vote of confidence. (laughs) Bilbo Baggins, speaking of, let's get Bilbo up there. Doing well already. Bilbo Baggins was just minding his own business one morning, sitting on his front bench when he saw Gandalf walk up the path. Bilbo was a perfectly ordinary hobbit, short in stature, big in heart. He enjoyed spending time in his hobbit hole, drinking tea, blowing smoke rings from his pipe. This was what all hobbits enjoyed, a perfectly ordinary, peaceful existence. One clan of hobbits, the Tooks, they defied this general rule every so often. And Bilbo's mother was a Took, and, says J.R.R. Tolkien, there was something not entirely Hobbit-like about Tooks, because once in a while, members of the Took clan would go and have an adventure. Now, Bilbo's father was a Baggins, and the Baggins were a well-respected family in the Shire for the simple reason that they had no adventures ever, or ever did anything unexpected at all. 
Bilbo, as a general rule, lived into his Baggins' self. It was hardly surprising, therefore, that Bilbo was not all that thrilled when the wizard Gandalf arrived at his home because where Gandalf was, adventure happened. Hobbits left with Gandalf and sometimes never came back. So when Gandalf told Bilbo that he was looking for someone to share in an adventure and was having difficulty finding someone, Bilbo quickly replied, I should think so in these parts. We are plain, quiet folk and have no use for adventures. Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things. They make you late for dinner. I can't think what anybody sees in them. And when an undeterred Gandalf suggested that he would send Bilbo on this adventure, Bilbo said at once, Sorry, I don't want any adventures, thank you. Not today. I don't want any adventures, thank you. Not today. Can you imagine if Simon Peter had responded to Jesus with this line. Simon Peter, come, follow me. Sorry, I don't want any adventures, thank you. Not today. He very well could have said this because these verses that we've read this morning are all about adventure. They're about the call to adventure, the invitation to step into the unknown. Jesus is looking for adventurers to join him in a mission, a kingdom mission. About a year has passed since he was baptized by John the Baptist. And John, having denounced Herod's marriage to his brother's wife, has been arrested. When Jesus hears of this, he leaves the region of Judea and heads to Galilee and then on to Capernaum. And lest we think that Jesus is fleeing from the wrath of Herod, he's actually moving closer to the action. Herod's capital city, Tiberias, is only eight and a half miles down the coast of the Sea of Galilee from Capernaum. And so it's here in this region of Israel that's surrounded on three sides by non-Jewish nations, Galilee of the Gentiles, It's here where Jesus begins his ministry, far from the epicenter of Jerusalem, far from what would be expected. Jesus heeds the call of the Father, heard through the prophets, and brings light to the people walking in darkness. And his call to the people is an echo of John's. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's not, repent for the kingdom of heaven is coming. The kingdom of heaven is now. Jesus' ministry is not just about dying and being raised from the dead. He comes not only to bring individual salvation, but to usher in a new era, a kingdom, to invite people into a way of living that was countercultural that was at odds with what they thought they knew about power and prestige and even what it meant to be religious. Jesus teaches something different. He commands something different. Justice for those who are powerless. Mercy to those who are undeserving. Love to our enemies. 
a sharing of our resources, power made perfect in weakness. And this kingdom, governed by these different rules and unexpected ordinances, is not something we wait for. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The adventure has begun. And as is the case with any good adventure, Jesus needs people who will come with him to be part of the movement to take on this mission. He's walking by the Sea of Galilee when he spots some old friends, Simon, who he now calls Peter, and his brother Andrew. And Jesus met Peter and Andrew after his baptism. They were disciples of John the Baptist, and they heard John's testimony about Jesus, and so they began spending time with Jesus. And in the years since, we can assume that they've begun following him around a bit, and so they have followed him up to Capernaum, continuing to spend time with him, though they don't quite know yet what exactly it means to be with Jesus. He hasn't extended a formal invitation to them yet. But as he's walking by one day, he calls out to them, Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. This is it. This is the call to adventure. Leave behind your fishing nets, says Jesus. I want you to bring people to me instead. And without hesitation, this is what they do. At once, says the text, immediately, they leave their nets and their boats and they follow Jesus. The same happens with James and his brother John. They're in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets when Jesus calls out to them to follow him, which they do at once, leaving their father behind. It's like they've been waiting for this moment. They've been with Jesus for a while. They know him to be the Messiah. They know he's going to do something, and they want to be a part of it. So they've been biding their time, just waiting for the call to come, waiting for the phone to ring, for the envelope to be handed to them, for the invitation to join in the adventure. They are ready. They're prepared to leave behind their families, their income, their commitments, their security, everything they have known, everything that's predictable and safe. The disciples could have said, no adventures today, thank you. But they don't. They follow. They follow because they know Jesus. They've spent time with Jesus. They trust Jesus. And so they trust Jesus when he makes this promise, I will send you out to be fishers of people. We're familiar with this in other scripture translations, I will make you fishers of people. And this is important, this promise of Jesus. It's important because the verb in this sentence, the action is taken on by Jesus. The Greek word is poeso, to make or to do, and everything about this word means the disciples can rest, can trust in Jesus. It's in the future tense, this is a promise. It's in the first person, this promise will be carried out by Jesus. 
and it's in the indicative tense. You didn't know you were going to get a grammar lesson today, but the indicative tense means something is a true objective fact. This can be relied on. Jesus will make the disciples fishers of people. Jesus will send. Jesus will equip. I will make you fishers of people, he says. You will be what I promise that you will be. Gandalf doesn't give up on Bilbo after Bilbo declines his invitation to an adventure. He returns the next day, this time accompanied by a group of rowdy dwarves. And now Bilbo gets all of the details of the adventure. The dwarves lay out their plan to steal back their gold from the dragon's smaug. But they need a burglar to help them, someone small who can get into a side door in the cave that none of them would fit through. They need Bilbo. The dwarves aren't exactly confident, however, that Bilbo is the hobbit for the job. He is, after all, rather reticent to join the adventure, and he shows something of a lack of courage. But when they announce their misgivings, Gandalf replies sternly, If I say he is a burglar, a burglar he is, or will be when the time comes. I will make you fishers of people. Last Sunday in his charge, my friend Tim Blackman talked about the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is often called the weeping prophet. His was the rather unenviable task of telling the powers that be that a bleak and sorrowful future awaited them. When God calls Jeremiah to be a prophet, to proclaim this message, Jeremiah protests rather vehemently. Ah, Lord God, he says, truly I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But God tells Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. Do not say, I am only a boy, for you shall go to all to whom I send you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you. I have put my words in your mouth. I have put my words in your mouth. He's a burglar if I say he is. I will make you fishers of people. When Jesus calls us to be his disciples, it may not strike us as quite such a grand invitation as was given to Bilbo or to Jeremiah or to the first disciples. We, at least in Canada, we have no kings that are imprisoning and beheading the pastors that baptized us. There are no dragons in our future. Most of us aren't formally called to speak to our prime ministers and premiers and tell them that a bleak and dismal future awaits the nation. And yet being a disciple of Jesus does put us at odds with the powers that be and with the larger culture around us. We are called to live according to a reality which many find foreign or backwards or threatening to the status quo. 
as citizens of the kingdom of heaven and followers of the king, we're called to bring justice to those who are powerless and mercy to those who are undeserving and love to our enemies. We're called to share our resources to seek a power made perfect in weakness. In February, we're going to look at four habits that we're called to put into practice as followers of Jesus. Big picture habits that encompass a whole number of smaller activities and invitations. The call to watch for how God is at work in the world. The call to work in step with the Spirit. To weep at the brokenness of the world and to wonder at God's goodness and grace in the midst of that brokenness. And even these things are countercultural. They pull us into a way of being that seems bewildering to many. Having hope seems like a ludicrous thing in the face of climate change and residential school graves and never-ending COVID restrictions. And seeking justice and dignity for those who don't appear to contribute anything to society, who are a blight on the happy facade we have of progress and success, well, that seems like a waste of time and a drain of resources. Slowing down, taking a rest from work, focusing our thoughts and our minds and our souls through practices like prayer and scripture reading or meditation seems both impossible in a world filled with distractions and valueless in a world that values efficiency and productivity. Acknowledging our own complicity in the brokenness around us and weeping at that which we feel powerless to change. That's an uncomfortable poke at a world where individual autonomy is prized above all else, where we live only by our own truths and where any and every problem can be solved if we just work hard enough. All of these things put us at odds with the world around us. To live as a disciple of Jesus, to live as citizens of the kingdom, means more often than not stepping outside of the norm, doing something different, something unusual, something countercultural, something strange. And doing that takes courage and strength and faith which means that discipleship for us looks very much like an adventure indeed. And we could say, when the call comes, when the invitation lands on our doorstep to live into our identity as kingdom citizens, sorry, I don't want any adventures today, thank you. You and I could come up with any number of excuses to stay on our front benches, comfortable, safe, secure. That situation is just much too messy, God. I couldn't possibly make a difference there. I've just finally been accepted by my new coworkers, God. I, I don't want to be the weird Christian person who begins questioning how things are done here. I'm just not quite cut out for this task you've called me to, Jesus. 
maybe ask that person over there. They seem much more qualified for the job. Inside each of us is a Baggins that would much rather not step out into this adventure, that wants to be liked, to be comfortable, to be safe. But the promise Jesus makes to his first disciples is the promise he makes to each of us. I will make you fishers of people. I will equip you for this adventure to which I have called you. I will give you the words to say. And how does Jesus do this? How does Jesus equip us for this adventure? There's no magic pill we have to take. There's no special training school you have to attend. Jesus equips us through the very simple means by which he has been equipping his disciples for centuries. He strengthens our faith through a meal that nourishes us as we gather every week for worship where we are reminded that God is present among us, is present everywhere we go. He encourages us by bringing people into our lives who accompany us on the journey, who step into the adventure with us, who help us and guide us by their example and steadfastness. He gives us his spirit, who is within us, comforting us when things are difficult, prompting us and guiding us along the way. There's a saying, every journey begins with a single step. And for the disciple of Jesus, the first step of this adventure isn't diving into some great and terrifying unknown, but simply receiving that which Jesus gives us already through the means by which he has led the church for years upon years upon years, through prayer and scripture reading, through the sacraments, through worship, through fellowship. Through these things, we come to know Jesus as the disciples knew Jesus, so that when we hear the call to follow him, we trust him, and we trust his promise that he will give us everything we need. So will you take hold of this promise? Will you be a took and step out into the adventure? Will you get out of your fishing boats, up off your front bench, and follow Jesus wherever he is leading you into challenging conversations with people, into messy relationships, to new jobs or mission fields or opportunities, to the suffering or the forgotten, to all of those corners of the world and corners of our communities that need to know that a new kingdom, an upside-down and bewildering kingdom, a good kingdom has come and is now. Will you follow Jesus the King? It might not be a very glamorous adventure, but it's an adventure nonetheless. You might not be lauded as a hero, but you will be welcomed as a child and an heir of the kingdom when the day is done. And you can know, you can trust, that you do not set out on this adventure alone, 
but that the God who called you to this adventure equips you and goes with you, goes before you to guide you, behind you to protect you, beneath you to support you, and beside you to befriend you. I will make you fishers of people, says Jesus. I am with you. Would you pray with me? And so, Lord God, equip us, nourish us, encourage us, give us your words so that when we hear your invitation to follow, to follow you in our conversations with a friend, in our workplaces, in our families and relationships, in the choices we make, in our very thoughts and attitudes, we would be bold to do so, to follow, to step out in faith, to live as your disciples. Bring us further into relationship with you, through our fellowship with your body, through the reading of your word, through our prayers, that we might come to know you more and trust you more. And knowing you would come to know ourselves as we really are, your children, citizens of the kingdom, disciples of Jesus Christ. Grant us your spirit, O God, to lead us. Help us to follow you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen.